You're listening to Better Worlds, the Verge's science fiction project about hope. Today's short story is called Skin City and is written by Kelly Robson. The story follows a street performer who gets into trouble after falling for a radical privacy devotee. And now, on to the story. This is Skin City. For Cass, the worst thing about being in jail wasn't the food. Sure, lunch was batch-processed and slopped onto partitioned trays, but edible. It wasn't the small shared cell or the stiff disposable coverall that scraped over her pasties. The worst part was the aesthetics. The jail took its interior design cues from the late 20th century. Monochrome, gray walls, gray floors, gray furniture. Cass would have skinned the jail in the late 19th century arts and crafts, soothing and restful to the eye, but as a prisoner, she was totally cut off from the open data stream. When she pinged for data, all she got was a menu of old movies, a selection of single-player games, and a worrying progress bar showing progress on her indictment. 12% complete. When it got to 100, the charges against her would be filed, and she'd find out just what kind of trouble she was in. Cass's elderly cellmate, Janet, snorted while waking up from her nap. She creaked out of bed and hitched herself over to the padded recliner. Cass wheeled the table over and adjusted it so the lunch tray was positioned over the old woman's lap. So what are you in for? (sighs) Unrequited love. Just my luck to get stuck with an incurable romantic. Cass had first seen her one true love on the slideway ramp at Osgood Station, coming up as Cass was coming down. Though all Cass could see was a vaguely human-shaped form in a full privacy drape, matte black microfiber from fingertips to eyelashes, she was instantly transfixed. The woman moved through the station as though she owned it, like it was a stage she was in complete control of, and Cass, her anonymous, devoted audience. The next day, Cass watched her striding through Queens Park at twilight, and then later selecting oranges in a grocery on Dundas. A few long days went by without a glimpse. Then she almost ran into the woman walking up Simcoe. Cass had to dodge out of the way to avoid a collision. I can't stop thinking about her. Cass and her friends crowded around the cafe tables in the middle of University Avenue. You know there's no chance, right? They're a privacy nut. They're not going to wink at an open-source mutt who shakes her tits in the street. I know, but I love her. Them. You think you're in love, but you're not. You don't even know their pronouns. She's femme, for sure. Something about the sachet. You're adorable, Cass, but what if she prefers men? Marie-Claude had cut right to the heart of her problem. Seen with a logical, dispassionate eye, she knew nothing about the woman and had no way of finding out but Cass was passionate in everything she did. Over the past few days, this stranger had set her world on fire. What if she's monogamous and married? She might like you, but won't ruin her life for you. They could be femme to the eyebrows in a cisgender man. Sachet or no sachet. I know, it doesn't make sense, but I can't live without her. Whatever you do, be careful. She lives in Fearsville. 
Angel pointed at the battery of black windowed towers on the east side of the street, behind the train of bikes streaming up the glideway. Keep your distance, otherwise she's going to fire a neuromuscular blocker right up your nose. There's no such thing as love at first sight. Yeah. Real relationships are built over time. You're projecting a fantasy onto a blank slate. You think I'm silly? No, just young. You don't know how it feels. When she walks by, it's like there's a spotlight shining on her. I may not know her, but I feel it. She's the most important person in the world. That's magical thinking. No, it's true love. Marie-Claude took Cass's hands and squeezed. Forget her, or we'll be picking pieces of your broken heart out of the sidewalk. I know you're trying to protect me, but you're wrong. And I'm going to show you exactly how wrong you are. Janet was a centenarian, 112 years old. Cass did the math. Janet had been born in the 20th, just like the jail decor. What's it like having a lifetime that spans three different centuries? I mean, you live through so many changes. The last gasp of industrialization, climate change remediation, the doming of the cities, rewilding on every continent, the death of scarcity, the privacy wars. What's it like? I gotta tell you, I miss doing that. Janet pointed a gnarled finger at Cass. Doing what? (laughs) Sitting cross-legged like your hips won't snap like a well-dried wishbone. Clearly, Janet wasn't comfortable answering her question. I'm a dancer. Flexible. A dancer, huh? I know what kind of dancers shake it around the city these days. See them on every other corner. Perverts. Cass stiffened. People come from all over the world to see Toronto's street burlesque shows. We're a city treasure. If you don't want to see it, you can skin us out. Janet slapped the tray. Her cutlery clattered. The fork fell to the floor and bounced under Janet's chair. An incurable romantic and a pervert. What's the world come to? No privacy? Cameras everywhere. And little harlots running around naked. Cass slipped off her bed and crawled to retrieve the fork. Were all privacy nuts like Janet imposing their values on everyone? She hadn't considered that the woman she loved might have a problem with Cass being a street burly. But no, Janet was old, very old. And like many centenarians, she clung to an outdated value system. The woman wasn't old, couldn't be, not with all that energy and bounce in her walk. Cass set the fork gently on the side of Janet's tray. She wanted to find out what it was like to be old, and she had her answer. Janet had seen a lot of change, and it scared her. In Toronto, as in most city-states, the population skinned the city to accommodate their aesthetic preferences, adding banks of greenery, inserting views and vistas, changing the city's shapes, textures, and colors to suit themselves. No city was perfectly designed for all its people, but skinning provided personal customization options. People from Fearsville skinned the city too, but their skins deleted people from the cityscape, eliminating the visible population, or at least reducing them to wireframes to avoid collisions. They'd lost the privacy wars and retreated to their private, anonymous towers. 
Many never left Fearsville, and the rest only emerged fully veiled, their IDs masked by a bonded security firm and available only on a need-to-know basis. All I have to do is get her to notice me. Then nature can take its course. <laughs> How? Privacy nuts skin us out of the landscape. Even if you got in her face, all she'd see is a wireframe. Yeah, but I have a plan. They were sharing a bottle of Tecumseh Tower Pinot Noir under a leafy golden locust tree on Queen Street. Be careful. My neighbor's cousin was carrying groceries past Fearsville once. She dropped a bag of apples and one of them rolled into their sidewalk setback. Not even into a building, just a piece of land they think is theirs. And when she tried to retrieve it, boom! Neuromuscular blocker right up the nose. She was unconscious for three hours. That's an urban legend. Maybe, but the point is, their worldview is completely different from ours. When they look around, they see the enemy. What do you see, Cass? Friends I haven't met yet. (laughs) Right. How are you going to reconcile that? There are legitimate reasons for people to protect their privacy. They can't all be paranoid. Angel looks skeptical. Cass leaned back and let her gaze drift to the Fearsville Towers. Just because someone doesn't like you doesn't mean they're bad. Maybe. I guess I just want them to prove it. Cass tipped the last of the wine into their glasses. Then a flash of black caught her eye. Shit! There she is! The woman sauntered through Osgood Station's wide archway, shoulders back, gloved thumbs hooked in the pockets of her billowing privacy wrap. The confident posture stretched the loose fabric over her shoulders and chest, emphasizing her breasts. Cass followed her with hungry eyes until she disappeared into one of Fearsville's narrow entryways. Mm, she's never going to talk to me. I thought you had a plan. Cass lurched to her feet. I do, and I'm starting right now. Janet grumbled under her breath as she thumbed through the menu of games. Cass wasn't intimidated. In her teens, she volunteered at a care home for elderly lesbians that occupied a historic building so old it was actually made of brick, wood, and glass. The building had barely made it through the violent storms of the early 21st, and if Toronto hadn't erected its dome in time, the building, and thousands of others, would have been flattened by the 10-month superstorm of 2057. Janet might be narrow-minded and hostile, but Cass knew how to handle her. To make a centenarian happy, all you had to do was ask them to dip into their store of accumulated wisdom. Older people love to give advice. Have you ever loved someone who didn't know you existed? None of that lovey-dovey shit when I was your age. We swiped right, hooked up, got off, and moved on. Janet chose an old-fashioned first-person shooter, non-immersive, and set the credits rolling. So, you're romantic. I'm not anything. I've been married three times. You don't believe in love at first sight? That's not love, kid. That's a delusion. Not for me. I saw someone and instantly knew my life would be worthless without them. Anybody you know ever felt that way? Janet screwed up her mouth like she tasted something sour. She spat into her wadded napkin. (laughs) Yeah, a few. How did it work out? Same as all relationships. One person six feet under, and the other's crying. I just wanted her to notice me. 
Janet grunted and engaged the game controller. Cass scooped up Janet's discarded lunch tray, passed it through the underdoor access slot, and whistled for the hygiene bot. So, you got in her face and got thrown into jail. Something like that. <laughs> you are doomed. Hey, it's Tom Warren, senior editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It'll be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond, from details on the next Xbox to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com slash notepad. What do you think would attract the biggest crowd? Princess Pie from Super Bloopers or Kasai and Trumbo from Team Mucho Bad Manners? Brio rolled his chair back from the packed and stacked communal sewing table. He rolled the pointy tip of his beard between his thumb and forefinger. Those are tough asks. It was what he always said when Cass started dreaming up a new costume. Entertainment franchises ruthlessly enforce intellectual property rights on their characters, raking through data for unlicensed skins and squashing pirates under every available legal steamroller. But franchises couldn't do much about analog costumes. They could monitor data streams from city cameras, but search bots were easily dazzled by slight differences in color, photo iridescent fabrics, and silhouette disrupting props. Cass had him a Lady Captain Sterling costume with peekaboo cutouts and dissolving panels that put a super saucy twist on the button-up classic hero. To fool the bots, she performed a hula hoop routine using a prop painted ultra-matte black. Princess Pie, I think. Cass climbed on her stool to reach a bolt of purple fabric from the overhead rack. I love Kasai and Trumbo, but my shoulders aren't broad enough to pull off a second head. Yeah, but... Team Mucho would be better. Adult target audience, you know? Princess Pie is kitty stuff. No skin in this costume. I just want something cute and popular. Are you feeling okay? Brio looked confused. Princess Pie will draw a general interest crowd, big enough that even someone from Fearsville will wonder what's going on and drop the wireframes to look. The point is to get noticed. Cass spent two days perfecting her costume, then lugged her portable stage just outside Osgood Station. She targeted the time windows she'd previously seen the woman in the area. In eight performances over four days, she got lost in the joy of her tiny fans, who screeched louder than any burlesque audience ever could. Each performance, she spun faster, jumped higher, her floating trouser skirt and iridescent purple swirling. It was so much fun, she almost forgot why she was there. Maybe kitty shows were her true calling after all. And then she saw the woman, coming up the slideway ramp. Cass stumbled off the stage and fell to one knee. Her pint-sized audience moaned in sympathy. The woman's gaze swept across Cass like a searchlight, but she didn't stop, didn't even pause. She rounded a corner and disappeared. Cass went hollow with disappointment, but she jumped up and gave the kids a huge smile. That's okay, kids. Even a princess falls down sometimes. 
Ten minutes later, a conflict resolution contractor showed up. He waited patiently until Cass pulled off her big finish and the children dispersed. Is there a problem? Did I take someone's usual performance spot? Nobody had it staked out, but I can move. It's no trouble. No, you're being indicted. Probably nothing serious, but the city wants you locked up while the charges are pending. He gave her an apologetic (laughs) half-grin. It was a great routine, though. Cass tried to ignore Janet's wholesale murder of fang-faced aliens as the centenarian progressed from one shooter level to the next. She watched her indictment progress bar slowly creep on. When it got stuck at 70%, she dismissed it and pulled up an old movie. So, if you've been married three times, why are you so negative about love? Your aimbot's stuck, kid. Find another topic. There is no other topic. If we don't have people we care about, what's the point of life? 2-2-22nd century, 2-2-happy, 2-2-crowded, 2-2-cozy. You gotta toughen up. Grow up, too. When the indictment bot finally slid through the access slot, Janet slapped down the game, abandoning her progress in a tricky level. (laughs) This bot's for you, Tutu. I want to watch it blow that chirpy smile off your face. I'm sure I'll be fine. The bot whirred over to the bed. Please confirm that your personal accessibility requirements have been met. Cass poked the green smiley face icon. This indictment bot provides the legal interface for criminal charges. Volunteer Justice Tribunal members Will Netlow, Yvonne McKenzie, and Minnie Minowa have agreed to supervise your indictment. Three faces hovered into view. Cass recognized them all. Yvonne and Minnie were established members of Toronto's street art community, and Will Net was with the Bank of Toronto Board of Trade, responsible for orchestrating IP treaties with sister cities. Cass smiled wide. Minnie nodded, and the other two looked stern. None of them smiled back. Cassandra Jillian Chwinski, after examining evidence from the City of Toronto surveillance archives, the World Court charges you with 52 counts of intellectual property theft. The evidence has been entered into your case file. Please examine it at your leisure. You may now ask questions of the tribunal. Cass reached out with a shaking hand and flipped through the stack of bookmarks. Each one showed her performing in her usual spots around the city with her best, most up-to-date costumes. Working the crowd, charming people, thrilling tourists. But I use bot dazzling. I'm careful. That only works on bots, honey. When live investigators get interested in you, it's all over. Except the crying. But why me? Why now? It must have been Princess Pie. If you ask me, it's pretty sad for a street burly to get hammered for a routine that prissy. Someone reported me? Do Do you know their name? They chose to remain anonymous. Privacy freaks. Something deep inside Cass crumpled. The woman that she loved turned her in, just like that. But no, she wouldn't believe it, couldn't believe it. She sat up straight, breathed deep, and relaxed her shoulders with a dancer's practiced grace. She'd get through this. What's going to happen to me? Wilnet wore a red noose-like tie around his neck, standard banker costume. The Bank of Toronto is highly supportive of the city's street performance community. No other city-state can claim such an abundant, vivacious, homegrown tourist draw, but 
Our treaties are important too. Our trading partners demand we respect their intellectual property rights. What does that mean? It means the city wants to make an example of you. I'm really sorry. Cass should have asked more questions, but she was stunned. She dismissed the bot. You got slammed hard. They won't keep me in jail for wearing a few costumes. When the arraignment bot comes, I'll plead guilty and go home. They'll sentence me to some extra volunteer work. Big deal. Let me see your file. Cass shot her the case file, then lay back on her bed and checked the arraignment progress bar. 12% already. It would all be over soon. <laughs> 52 counts. If they make them consecutive, you'll never get out. They won't do that. 15%. Cass stretched out on the bed to wait. Take it from me. Never plead guilty. Never do what they want. Be sand in the gears of the world. That's the only true freedom. I don't believe that. Cass tried changing the subject. So, when are you getting out? When do you go back home? This is my home. Janet's grin was ghastly. Nice place you got here. Remember I said all relationships end with someone six feet under? Not being that person is the only way to survive love. Janet grinned wider, her lips stretched to threads. She drew a gnarled finger across her throat. Nobody believes that anymore. Cass had been making an effort to be kind, but 20th century eye for an eye, kill or be killed, wasn't just old-fashioned. It was plain stupid. You're a dinosaur, Janet. Maybe, but dinosaurs are survivors. Janet's roomy eye gleamed, and a thrill of fear coursed down Cass's spine. You didn't kill someone? <laughs> no. I don't plead guilty, remember? Janet went back to her first-person shooter. Cass sat with her back against the wall, grimly watching Janet murder her way through level after endless level. What justification could the city possibly have for shutting her up with someone so horrible? Maybe this was her life now. Maybe she would never get out. When the cell door opened, Cass was curled on the bed, knees to her chest. The doorway framed a figure draped in black, head to toe, emerging from the dim hallway. To Cass, that dark form shone sun-bright, haloed in light. Her love, she'd know her anywhere. One of the woman's graceful hands rested on an arraignment bot. The other reached out with an open, upturned palm. I'm your defense counsel. She lifted her fingers to the brim of her hood, and when she pushed it back, Cass finally saw the face she'd been yearning for, the love of her life. I'm getting you out of here. This audio story is part of Better Worlds, a series of 10 original science fiction stories, five audio adaptations, and five animated videos about hope. You can find the rest of these stories at theverge.com slash betterworlds. Skin City was written by Kelly Robson and edited by Laura Hudson, Helen Havlack, and Addie Robertson. The story was adapted for audio by Gautam Shrikishan and Zachary Mack. 
voice acting by Ali Levin, Barbara Krasnoff, Russell Brandom, Ashley Carmen, Sarah Bishop Woods, Zachary Mack, William Joel, Angela Chen, and James Barham. Original music and sound design by Gautam Shrikishan. Art direction by William Joel. Thank you for listening to Better Worlds. <laughs>